Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. We are wrapping up a series today called Elijah. And uh, so we're glad you're here for this. If you haven't been here for the whole series, that's okay, because we have saved the best till last, and we've been taking a look at some practical lessons from an ancient prophet uh, named Elijah. And so, so today we want to talk about a concept. This is if, how many people like going to the doctor? Anybody like going to the doctor? There's always one. Okay, thanks, Bert. We see that hand. We'll take you there after church today. Something's wrong. <laughs> but how many people like going to the doctor when something's wrong, right? I mean, like, do you appreciate doctors when you go, hey, I'm so sick and I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired, I'm so sick of being sick that you finally make yourself go to the hospital or emergency room or wherever you need to go to get help, and uh, there's nothing quite like it when that happens. And today we want to kind of talk through that lens as if God is calling you into his office, per se, and saying, I know there's a problem in your life and you don't know, so there's two things we kind of have to look at. One is what, what caused the problem, right? And then the solution or, or the prescription for the problem. So, so here's the problem I want to look at. How do you go from success to being depressed? Anybody ever had that happen to them? Where you went from being on top of the world to being about as low as you can be in almost a nanosecond. Anybody ever had I mean, it seems like it happens that way. Like, like you have this big event, you have this big thing that happens, and then all of a sudden out of the blue, it's like, where did this depression come from? It's one of the reasons why sometimes you'll see somebody even spiritual or leadership or wherever, and you'll hear about them committing suicide, and you go, how could that happen? How could this person that seemingly was on top of the world kill himself? I mean, how could that occur? And, and, and today we want to take a look at it because it's not as odd as you might think, that, that for some of us to move this, the change from being successful to having on fire for God and, and having a calling on your life to being completely depressed and almost no hope is not of our stretch. It happens to the best of us. And today we want to talk about, hey, how does that happen? That's the first thing we want to do. So four easy steps to becoming depressed. We'll talk, talk to you about it, okay? Some of you guys already got it, right? You got 100 steps to becoming depressed. You got so, so we'll talk about, hey, how did you get there? Because it's really important to diagnose it correctly and understand why, not just the symptoms, but why did we get there? And then also, how do we go from there, okay? So not just identifying the problems. We're pretty good at that at church, just identifying problems and then not giving solutions. <laughs> but with today, what we want to do is we want to say, hey, how do you go from being depressed to being successful again? In fact, even more than before, maybe even significant, maybe even having God's call back on your life or God giving you a perspective that might change everything. And we're going to do that through the lens of Elijah. So just a little bit about where we've been in this series. We talked about the making of the man of God, that Elijah was a prophet called by God to come at a, at a terrible time in the life of Israel where they had turned their back on God and had worshipped a false god named Baal. What I hadn't said in the series was the followers of Baal were absolutely horrible. They had killed thousands of people in Israel. They were terrible people, and they were almost in a state of war, meaning, meaning these people are so bad that they're just killing off anybody who doesn't believe the way they do. They're fanatics. And uh, the king worshipped Baal, and his wife, who was even worse than him, Jezebel, worshipped Baal, and they did that. So Elijah's job was to come there, and his name simply means, my God is Jehovah, and his job was to go there and say, God isn't happy with what you did, and the judgment's going to be, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. And then after he does this this thing where he tells the king that, he goes off and lives in obscurity for that time. And God takes care of his needs, and he learns to, to, that God will provide for him. He also got to see the miracle of God where, God, where this boy died, and then God brought the boy back from the dead. And so he learned how to depend on God in obscurity, and that was kind of the first message in the series. The second one was this, which God do you serve? And he brought out all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah, and about a thousand prophets on top of the hill. And he said, if your God's real, then show me. Show me that he'll bring down fire from heaven. And of course, Baal didn't. <laughs> they tried. And all the nation of Israel was there to see. And he goes, today we're going to decide who God is. And he called down fire, and fire came down from heaven. And it was absolutely awesome. And then they killed, I just want to make sure I preface that at the beginning. These are bad people. They killed all the prophets of Asherah and all the prophets of Baal that day. <laughs> 
Um, not asking anybody to kill anybody, okay? So please don't take that. Some of you guys, I know you, uh, <laughs> don't take this message the wrong way, okay? Um, that's not the point. The point is this. You've got to rid out the problems that are there. Don't go back to the old life is basically what that's saying. And they were moving ahead. So it was like going success. And then the third message, we talked about prayer, that after you're successful, it's important to pray. And so he prayed to God. He didn't forget to pray. He didn't say, I'm the great prophet and I'm going to lead you. He said, we'll pray to God. And he prayed for rain and it rained after three and a half years. And God brought the rain. It was absolutely amazing. He couldn't be more on top of the world. So how did he go from being successful to being depressed? And today we're going to tell you how that happened. So um, turn with me, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, as we look at this last principle from the life of Elijah, in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. (laughs) So I told you King Ahab is a wicked man. I know that because I'm intuitive. I'm reading the scriptures. I had to really pull this out because God said, that's right, because <laughs> God said King Ahab's the most wicked king that ever sat on the throne. I kind of took, he's not a good guy. The only person worse than King Ahab is his wife Jezebel. Now I know we don't have in our culture, we can't imagine an evil person being in politics as a lady. Okay, we'll just stop there. Okay. Come on, that's funny. I, even if, you, I don't care what side you're on, that was funny. It was just joke. Relax. You don't know who I'm talking about, okay? (laughs) All right. So Jezebel. Jezebel is worse than him. So King Ahab, you'll see, he wasn't a powerful man because for every good man, there's there's a woman behind him, right? I mean, that's that's for me. I'm not that great, but my wife is so great, and she magnifies me in so many ways. Jezebel is the exact opposite. She is the most evil person that's probably ever lived. I believe that maybe she was demon-possessed, if not Satan-possessed, and she was a scary person, okay? She was a scary woman. And so he, he goes to his wife to always whine and complain. They did this to me. They took my field from me. And, and you'll see that about Ahab. She was the force behind him. She was the powerful strength and the evil that was behind him. You get it? So Jezebel sent this message, messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. He knows her. You can feel the evil. You can... It, Here's what I know, and some of you guys would understand this. He could face a thousand prophets of Baal, but a scary lady is something else. And I mean, just gonna <laughs> shiver down his spine, okay? That's, a, that's where we're at with that, and it's so true, right? I mean, it, a ladies can be very scary when they want to be. My mom has that. She has this look that she can give that will just pierce right through you. I'm not saying Jezebel look, but it's, yeah, okay. <laughs> ladies have that way about them. So let me tell you what happens to Elijah. Elijah was afraid. I don't want you to belittle this because he knew it isn't just about death. You know what he's afraid for? The way she's going to kill him. And he's like, I was on top of the world and I thought God was going to do this movement. And now all of a sudden it's kind of shifted and he got the note and he went from being on top of the world to fear coming in. I want you to circle that, afraid. And what did he do? He ran for his life. You ever had that moment where fear came in? All of a sudden you're afraid and all you want to do is run. You ever had that? My wife has done that. Um, <laughs> When, uh, when Wyatt was little, I remember she has a phobia about bees and wasps and stuff. She's scared to death of them. I think when she was a kid, her parents would say, you know, don't worry, stand still. They won't sting you. And they always stung her. And so she's scared to death, right? And so me and Wyatt, and Wyatt was like three years old at the time, and we're walking in up on the steps on our porch, and inside the light fixture, the, the bees somehow had gotten there and made a nest. And so when we came up, the wasp just came out and swarmed us. <laughs> And Marie's panicked, and she let go of Wyatt, and she ran in the house and locked the door <laughs> and left me and Wyatt. She's like, I ain't got to outrun the bees. I just got to outrun you. You know, I was like, I understand me, but you left Wyatt on the porch. <laughs> she would deny that if you ask her. I'm going to see the eyes of Jezebel. Okay, you get the idea. When I get home today for telling you about it. But that's true. It's a true story, and it happened. And, but what I know is this. Here's what happens. When you're afraid, you run. You want to get away. You ever had that feeling, and you just want to run? You don't know where you're going. This is, this is clear. I mean, when people are afraid, they'll go. And, and they'll say that. When we, when, we, when we talk to the preppers that prep for the end times, you know what people do? They'll get in their car and drive, and it don't even make sense. They have no supplies. They don't have anything. They're just going. Why? Because you just feel better running. And what did they do? Look at the next part. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He ran to the southernmost tip of Israel, and he, and he left his best friend. That's what a servant was. It's not just a servant. This is the person closest to him in the world, and he left him behind. That's how scared he was. When you're afraid, the last thing you're going to want is people around you. You just want to run, right? You just want to get away, and you're leaving everything behind. That's what it does. It makes you irrational, just like I was talking about with Marie, right? 
You leave, and it's amazing who you'll be willing to leave when you're afraid. And fear and depression had set into his life. Verse 4, while he himself went on a day's journey. So he'd run, and he left his servant behind, and he went into the wilderness. He went to the last place in Israel, and then he even went further, all by himself into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed this. Maybe you've prayed like this. He prayed that he might die. The prophet of God prayed, I want to die. I'm done. In fact, he said, I have had enough, Lord. Is this your prayer? <laughs> you didn't realize God wrote your prayer in the scriptures. I'm done. I don't, I don't have no more to give. I don't understand this, God. I just want to die. In fact, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. You said it was going to be different. It isn't. She's coming after me. It isn't going to end well. Just kill me. It's rational. Understand this. This is not a time for rational talk to this person, right? And God understands it, and I want you to pay attention to it, because before we can get to the prescription, you've got to understand how you get here, okay? Some of you guys might be here today. Then it says this, verse 5, Then he lay down under the, the bush, and he fell asleep. So how do you go from success to depressed? He had just called down rain, and rain came, right? He had just prayed to God for fire, and fire had come down from heaven. So how did he go to being depressed? Let me tell you a couple things that can take you from being successful to being depressed in about a nanosecond. Number one is this. You wear yourself out. You wore out today. Maybe you hadn't thought of that. If you're saying stuff like this, let me tell you how you know if you're on your way to depression. Maybe you don't even know it. You'll say, I ain't got time to, to rest right now. I don't, I don't have time to take a break. Okay, I got you. My, my gas tank's on empty, and I ain't got time to stop for gas, okay? That's what it means. Maybe you didn't know that. But you're on your way to depression if you're wore out and you're not taking care of yourself physically, okay? Number two, you want to know if you're depressed. Maybe you need to maybe write this down. If you see somebody frantically writing it, it means, hey, they're, they're really struggling with this right now. Maybe you need to ask them, do I need to write this down? You think this will ever happen to me? Trust me, it will. So write this down because it happens to us. If it ha- Let me tell you this way. If it happened to Elijah, the greatest prophet in the scriptures ever has been, you think it's a little prideful to think it can't happen to you? Okay, there you go. Number one, you wear yourself out. Number two, you shut people out. What you need most, you'll want least. Isn't that true? That's why we need small groups. You want to know why small groups are so important? Because you can stumble out of church, you can't stumble out of small group. Why? Because they won't let you, right? They notice when you're not there. That's why it's so important that you group yourself. Well, I just want the word of God. I just want me and Jesus got our own thing going. I learned the scriptures. I study the scripture. But what you need most, you're going to need people. And if you're not in relationships, you won't have them when this moment comes. And this moment, it isn't if this moment comes, it's when. If it happened to Elijah, it can happen to you. Okay, so just take the pressure off. If that's where you're at today, don't be afraid to admit, I'm depressed. If Elijah's depressed, who do you think you are? Right? Okay, number three, you focus on the negative. You focus on the negative. That's what happened to Elijah. Because of the first two things, his mind was skewed, and he's looking at the world, and all he can see is the negative. He can't see all that God is doing. He can't see what God is about to do, because all he can focus on is this big negative problem. Okay. And number four, here's how Satan does his work. Satan uses these first three to accomplish number four. He forgot God. You want to know how you go from being a success to being depressed? You want to know how you be a child of God and, 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 and called of God and having all this stuff going on in your life to being completely depressed? You forget God in the process. You look at the circumstances and not God. That's what happens. Okay. You get the picture. That's how it happens. Hold on to that. If you see, hey, I'm doing some of these, understand. If you got all four of them, you really need to pay attention, okay? Some of you guys, you know, this is exactly where I'm at. It's as if you're reading my mind. I'm not God is, okay? Not a new principle. Okay, verse, verse 5 goes on to say this. This is after he laid down and fell asleep. Now understand, he's not sleeping. Like Some of you guys understand this. When you can't sleep, but you're exhausted, and you just kind of fall out. Anybody ever fell out outside? <laughs> we won't talk about that. But you wake, up, you wake up outside, and you're like, what happened here, you know? Sometimes it's induced by other things that causes you to fall asleep outside. But you get the idea. So he's basically fell out from just being exhausted, okay? And he don't even know where he is. You ever had that kind of sleep? And then all at once an angel touched him. And when it says all at once, what it means is it's one of those moments where somebody touches you and, and you're, you're exhausted, so all of a sudden they touch you and what do you do? It's like, oh, you know, you're kind of coming out of it and you don't know where you're at and, and you see an angel. That's what it's like for me when Marie wakes me up, you know, <laughs> an angel. There you go. Hopefully that makes up for the other stuff. <laughs> all right. All at once an angel touched him and said, 
get up and eat. I want you to see that circle of word eat. Get up and eat. This is, this is very important to the process. Verse 6, he looked around and there at his head was some bread baked over hot coals. Can I tell you something? The Bible is, is a, a real fan of carbs, okay? Pancakes, angel food cake, whatever you want to call it, that's what happened here. And I think this is really important, so include this in your scenario. Okay? And a jar of water. And what did he do? He ate and he drank and he laid down. I, I want you to circle that. He ate and he laid down. You want to know what God's prescription is? It, the first part of the prescription for going from depression to being successful again? So it, it, from, from not hearing God's voice to being all depressed and not knowing what God wants to being able to hear God's voice again? Number one, it's going to seem so unspiritual. Yet, if you don't do this, you're never going to have this spiritual occurrence. Number one, you've got to eat and you've got to sleep. You've got to take care of yourself physically. Number one, you can put it up on the screen, what? There you go. God says eat and drink. God says eat and sleep. Don't miss that. Eat and rest. I ain't got time for that, right? Ain't nobody got time to rest, right? I'll rest when, I, when it goes. Here's what I learned about that. Um, even Stephen Covey, he's not a Christian, but he had a great biblical principle in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Habit number seven was this. He said, you got to take time to sharpen the saw. Now, we learned that. We went out and helped a guy cut wood for his house, and I watched some guys with the chainsaws. And one of the things I learned was this. Some of the guys would stop every so often, and they'd sharpen their chainsaw. And those guys were much more productive than the guy going, I ain't got time to stop to sharpen my saw, right? And they're spending all their time, but they're not being very productive. And God understands this, and he's saying, hey, are you taking care of yourself physically? Because if you're not taking care of yourself physically, no wonder you can't hear me. You see, God doesn't say a word. You see, what God understands is this. If I don't take care of you physically, your brain isn't going to hear it. Can I tell you that? When you're hungry and tired, this is a great information for dealing with your kids or dealing with your spouse, especially your spouse. You want to pick the worst time and think you're going to communicate because here's what we think as Christians, and, and not just Christians, okay? If you're not a Christian, you probably think this too. You think that the words are what communicate. That's not true. God is a master communicator. Follow what he understands about psychology because he made us. And what he understands is this. He could have told Elijah right then, Here's what your problem is. But notice he didn't. Because God didn't come to make a point. He came to make a difference. And what he's doing is he's going, you can't hear me yet. A lot of you guys think that the gospel is about information. It's not. If you shove information, people don't get saved, do they? You know when they get saved? When they can actually hear it. And the first thing they got to do, what? Physical needs. Are you taking care of yourself physically? You want to know if you're depressed, the first thing I'd ask is, how are you eating? How are you sleeping? Yeah, no, I ain't got time to sleep. Okay. Your cake's on empty. You ain't got time to sharpen the saw. I don't have time to get alone with God. Well, let me know once you're in the psych ward, right? Let me know once, once you break down and have your heart attack or stroke or whatever else you need to have until you're ready to listen to God. Then you're ready to listen to God, right? How far down do you got to go? Well, you can go down as low as you want. But you got to take care of yourself. And if you don't, you can't hear God. God understands it. That's why he started with this. Why did he eat and drink and not talk to him? And by the way, God understands it's going to take some time. He's going he's to give Elijah some time. You, you, you're going to need some time to overcome. The message is ready. God is ready. You're starting to get the picture, right? It isn't us waiting on God. It's quite the other way around. God is waiting on us. And he's saying, you're not ready to hear the message yet. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take care of yourself first. When you put the oxygen mask on yourself, you've been going so long. You're so wore out. No wonder you can't hear. Okay. Verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time. So he fell asleep. Who knows how long he was there? And he touched him, and he said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. What journey? God's about to take you on a journey. And what I want you to see is this. You can't do it until you've eaten and sleeping. You can't hear from God. Understand, here's where the problem's going to come to. Eating and sleeping physically is great. God wants you to get to a place where you can hear him and eat and drink and sleep spiritually. But you can't do it until you take care of yourself physically because the journey is too much for you. There's another word for that. There is a God, and you're not him. Okay? Somebody might need to write that down today. You've been holding the world, weight of the world on your shoulder. If I don't do this, then everything's going to fall apart. If I don't do this, they're not going to get taken care of. You believe that, just die. Okay? <laughs> and you know how long they'll remember you? Just put your hand in a glass of water, pull it out, put your hand in a basin of water and pull it out, and that's how long it'll be before they forget you. You know what happens when, when that happens? Somebody will be eating potato salad and shame about old what's-his-name. You know what I mean? 
He had such an impact, right? God doesn't need us, but here's the thing. We think it does. And he's going, hey, you know what? You know what I found when I, when I gave up the mantle of being God? The sun still rose. Church still went on. God still did what he does without me. That was such an encouragement because I thought I was holding the whole world up. And he's going, I got work for you to do. It's not that you're not important, but you're not the most important. And you've got to hear from me. That's why you're depressed. You're ready to kill yourself, Elijah. So don't eat and sleep and feel better and go back. Eating and drinking is so you'll be ready for the journey, okay? You'll be ready for the journey to go and to see God. Okay, verse 8. So he got up and he ate and he drank and and he strengthened by the food. You get that? Strengthened by the food, meaning he couldn't have went on this journey had he not taken the time to take care of himself physically. Okay. And he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. You want to underline mountain of God? This is a significant mountain. You know where God was taking him? Mount Horeb. Maybe you don't know where that is. Let me tell you where it is. It's where Moses got the Ten Commandments. You know about that? So he takes him, and he knows where this place is. And so he ran, thinking he didn't know where he was going. And God said, I want you to go here, and it's going to take you 40 days and 40 nights to get there. God hadn't said anything yet. Get a picture? He's giving him some time to process. He's giving him some time to get his mind straight, to hear what God is about to say. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he travels, and he gets to this specific spot, and he goes, I know where this mountain is. He's a Jew. He gets it. You want me to go up on top of the same mountain that Moses? Yeah. You're just as significant to me, Elijah. Spending time with God is significant. The first thing I ask people is this, hey, how's, how are you doing? How's your rest? All right? Then I say, how's your time with God? That's how you eat and sleep. That's how you eat and sleep with God, right? You sleep and you get rest from God. He is your Sabbath rest. How, how, how is that going for you? How's your quiet time? Oh, I ain't got time for that. Really? You think God's going to talk to you? What are you waiting for, son? You, you waiting that God's just going to rain down and he's giving you his word, but you haven't been in it. And you think... You're going to eat and sleep and rest in God, but you haven't spent any time with him. I ain't got time for that. Well, let me know when your tank runs out, right? I ain't got time to sharpen the saw. You get the picture? You don't have time not to. You've got to get with God because otherwise you're going to be depressed, and you're wondering, why am I depressed? I can tell you why you're depressed, because you haven't spent any time with God. And it's time that you spent some time with God. Maybe the most spiritual thing you could do is get a hotel room. Not run away, but just get a hotel room and spend some time and rest and then hear from God. It might change your life. As it has mine. Okay. He gets there. He spends time with God. Now, pay attention to what happens next. Verse 9. There he went into a cave, and he spent the night on top of Mount Horeb. Isn't that awesome? Where Moses was. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Do you see that part? What are you doing here? I love that. Um, don't, don't you think Elijah's going, What? I spent 40 days and 40 nights getting here. Your word came to say, come to the mountain of the Lord, and you're asking me what I'm doing here? He don't get it. But God is doing something here that's incredible, and I think it's the same thing he wants to do with you, and there's two lessons here. One is a lesson for you on how God wants to communicate with you, and two, how to communicate with other people. This is huge. What God understands is he could have started with, let me tell you what your problem is. You ever started with that one? Husbands and wives, you ever done that one? Let me tell you what your problem is. <laughs> Start with that and see how it goes. You're going to see Jezebel. <laughs> but God didn't do that. You know why he understood? He goes, I can tell you got some burdens. And you know what's got to happen before I can fill you up? You know what has to happen before I can put some stuff into your pack? You're going to have to unpack some stuff first. And I'm going to tell you, you got a bunch of stuff that don't make any sense on this journey. You got some stuff you're holding on to that's not true. So let me hear what your stuff is first before I say anything. I'm not going to diagnose it. I'm not going to fix you yet. Do you think God doesn't know? Let me tell you something. He asked the same question in the Garden of Eden. What are you doing here? All right? God ain't asking because he doesn't know. He's asking to point out something about you. He's going, hey, I need you to unpack your bags. Trust me. If you want to help other people, you got to listen to them first. You know you can listen to people without agreeing with them? Don't interrupt them. Because too many people think information is what people need. No, they don't. They can't hear you. Because they got all this burden, and they got to be able to unpack it. And if you don't let them, let me tell you something, it's going to go really poorly. And that's why a lot of people are frustrated because they're going, I'm right. It's not enough to be right. you got to listen, okay? you got to let them unpack a little bit, especially people that are depressed. Don't think they're rational. See, we get the wrong thought of going, well, I'm logical and rational and all these things. No, you're not. Not when you're depressed. Not when you're running out trying to kill yourself, right? That's not logical. That's not rational. 
Stop trying to be rational with people that aren't, right? Let them unpack a little bit, and then all of a sudden God will give you the word at the right time. Okay, God gives the word. Here's what, he, here's what Elijah says. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord's, Lord God Almighty. That's true. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. That's true. They have torn down your altars. That's true. And they have put the prophets to death by the sword. That is true. They have killed the prophets of Jehovah. That is so true. Look at this next part. I am the only one left. Can you underline that? If you're saying that, I'm all by myself. I'm all alone. There's no one else that's ever had this problem. I'm the only one. I'm so unique. This is a unique problem just for me. Can I tell you something? That's a lie. In a moment, we're going to see that 7,000 people have not bowed the knee to Baal. He is not the only person of God. I'm the only one left. And by the way, they're trying to kill me too. So you left me out here to die with a bunch of people that don't believe in you. And it's not true. That's not true. They are trying to kill you. But the one part that's not is destroying you, which is I am alone. There's nobody with me. Yeah, that's because you left everybody. See, And you came out here thinking geography would fix your problem. And geography won't fix your problem. You can run as far as you want and it ain't going to help you. Okay? Here's what he does. Number two, number one, you got to eat and rest. Don't stop there. Number two, you got to replace the lies with the truth. You got to replace the lies of Satan with God's truth. And God is about to do that. But before you can do it, you got to have your mind right. You get the picture? God understands. I got to have your mind straight so you can actually hear me. Once I get your mind straight, you're going to hear me and I'm going to explain. So the first thing I did was I pointed out, let me ask you, and they'll start self-correcting. You'll start self-correcting. Why do you need to spend time with God? Why do I need to tell him what he already knows? It isn't about him. It's about you. God already knows what you need. You think he, he knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly your problem, but he wants you to explain because in that, it's, thera- it's therapeutic to start to talk about it and unpack those bags. Okay, you get the picture. Verse 11. Verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, he did that for Moses. Did you know that? One of the most incredible moments in the life of Moses, and Moses never got away from it. Understand this. When you meet with God, there is nothing like it. Unless you've done it, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I've met with God. Okay, no, you hadn't. Because you wouldn't say it that way. When Moses saw the presence of God, when he said, you're going to die, and he goes, could I ask for one last thing? You know what he asked for? Can I see your presence just one more time? And when he was on the mountain, after he'd seen the presence of God the first time, he said, we won't go unless your presence goes with us. That's, that's, that's when you know somebody's met with God. Maybe you've never met with God, but he wants to. And he's saying, go up on the same mountain where I gave the Ten Commandments. That's significant, isn't it? And I'm going to show up. And how do you think he thinks he's going to show up? Exactly like he showed up. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. (laughs) You talk about a tornado. You talk about power. God showed up and and, and destroyed a mountain. Can I tell you something? You know where they, they, they put bunkers for the nuclear bombs? In the mountains, you don't see mountains tore up, trust me. It takes a lot to tear a mountain up. And God tore up a mountain in front of him. But can I tell you something? But, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. We all know about earthquakes. You can just Google it. You can see for yourself what that does. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Why did he do all this? Because he goes, that's what you're used to. You know you called down fire from heaven. That's how you're used to God. You're used to all this, this big and awesome and powerful, and that's what you're looking for, and you're expecting one miracle after the next, after the next, but you're not hearing me. And he goes, I showed you all that to show you who I am. Now I want to tell you what it's really all about, and here, here's what it is. And after the fire came, a gentle whisper. Number one, you've got to eat and rest. Number two, you've got to replace the lie with God's truth. And number three, God speaks in a still, small voice. You see, what I understand about depression, because I've been there myself, I've been to counseling before too, is this. You know what the problem with depression is? It's all this noise. You know, I talk to most people when they get suicidal, and I've talked to a bunch. They go, it's not that I want to die. I just want the noise to stop. You ever had that? I just want to be quiet just for a minute, and, and it's so much loud. It's so loud. I can't hear myself, and I'll take any drug, and I'll drink, and I'll do whatever I got to do to get this noise off of me. I can't hear. Isn't it funny that God comes in a still, small voice? You know what God does on the mountain of the Lord? 
he stops all the noise and you hear his voice. <laughs> I tell you something today, there is nothing like it. Nothing. And he speaks. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled a cloak over his face. Let me tell you something. When the presence of God comes, you don't have to worry about being reverent. You'll be reverent. Okay? <laughs> when the true God comes, you know what? Every time people fall down, people cover their face because you can't look at his glory. Moses understood it, right? I had your face because you cannot look at God and live. That's what it says, right? And the presence of the Lord comes. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If you ain't experienced, you've never felt anything like that. There's no, nothing on earth that compares to the feeling of the presence of God. And he stood at the mouth of the cave, and then the voice said to him, What are you doing here? What? <laughs> you brought me all the way to the mountain of the Lord to ask me the same question you asked me. You just, I mean, isn't that verbatim what he just asked? What are you doing here? Can I tell you what he's doing to you today? What are you doing here? Can I say it a little bit different? What are you doing under your circumstances? What are you doing depressed? You're under your circumstances because you forgot God. You need me. And what does he do? He doesn't say anything. And guess what Elijah does? He does what a lot of us are doing. But he's about ready to hear it as he self-corrects by saying verbatim the exact same thing. This is not, this is not the same verse. This is the same verse. It just, it's chapter 14. I think the other one was like 11 or something. <laughs> he says the same thing. Look what he says. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Okay, that's true. <laughs> the Israelites have rejected your covenant and tore down your altars. That's true. And they have put the prophets to death with the sword. That's true. I am the only one left. That is not true. That is the lie. You are not alone. Somebody needed to hear that today. You're talking about all the problems that are in the world. All that's true. But you are not alone. You're not the only one. You're not by yourself. <laughs> that's what God is saying. Why do you think our, 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 our mission statement, vision statement for this church is to connect with those that are unconnected and all alone? It's the saddest place. It's behind the gates of hell. You get the picture? Because being alone, there is nothing like You know how it describes hell? It's in a place of eternal alone. Separated from the presence of God for all eternity. I can tell you what, that's a living hell, isn't it? And he's right there. That's why depression is, hits you. And I'm all by myself. And God is going, that's not true. You are not alone. And they are trying to kill me too. And you're not anywhere here. What are you talking about? Where am I? And I think he's starting to self-correct as God gets ready to give him a word. He speaks to him in a still, small voice, and he starts to a little bit correct, as maybe you are today. And the Lord said to him, I'm ready to tell you what I got to say now, Elijah. You see, you weren't ready to hear it before. It took, it took 40 days and 40 nights to get you to the mountain of the Lord. It took me tearing the mountains to pieces and coming to you and asking you, where are you? Because I've never changed my vision. You see, what you think, let me tell you what he says to him. The Lord said to him, go back. No, 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 I'm running, right? Because the problem is my geography. If I was only in another place, then it would be better, right? If I only wasn't in Zuni, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Nothing good comes out of Zuni. Okay, you get the picture, okay. There ain't no internet out there. That's all I'm saying. There's no broadband internet. It's terrible. All right. <laughs> Go back to Zuni, right? Go back. I never called you away. Can I tell you something from somebody who's been depressed? I've, when I was depressed, I visited every single church in Hampton Roads. I don't think that's an exaggeration. And I went to one, I'm like, I don't like it. I go to another one, I don't like it. I don't like it. I didn't like this one, I didn't like that style. They're phony, they're not phony, they're terrible, they're not friendly, they are too friendly. <laughs> I found problems in every church in Hampton Roads. You know what I found? Man, church is just messed up. That's true, by the way. But I found one common denominator in all of them. Can I tell you what it was? Me. Ooh. That's ugly, ain't it? The problem wasn't the churches, the problem was me. Can I turn that around a little bit? Maybe you're going to the next place. You've already been to one church, and you come here going, I didn't like that one, but maybe this one's going to be okay for me. Can I tell you something? It's not, because you're not clear on what the problem is. It's not everybody else, it's, it's me. It's me. I can't run from myself, and God is saying geography won't fix it. You can keep running if you want to, but when you get there, it's still going to be there, because you're still there. <laughs> Ooh, you can't run away from yourself. Wish I could, but I can't. Okay. 
Go back. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Now, that doesn't mean much to us. Let me tell you what will, though. The next verse, verse 16. Take a look at this. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, king over Israel. Now, that might not get your attention. You're afraid. You're afraid, Elijah, of the king and the evil queen. And I have already selected the next king. And then within a couple days, Ahab and Jezebel will be a bad memory in Israel. Regime change is about to happen. You know what your problem is, Elijah? You're about to quit right before the miracle. Now, who wants you to do that? Who wanted you not to go back? Why is the man of God hiding out? I can tell you why. Before the greatest miracle of God, the nation of Israel is about to turn back to God in revival. That's a fact. And Jehu is going to set things straight. But you're about to quit. Why? Because Satan's got you depressed. You want to know why? Because you're tired. You're wore out. You, you focused on the negative. You get the picture? You're all by yourself. You've left everybody out. And Satan has caused you to forget God, and God is reminding you, I've got a vision for where you're at. You see, Zunai's not so bad when God's got a vision. And God has a vision. Here's the other part. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahoy. Wouldn't you hate a name like Shaphat? That would be her one. (laughs) From Abel Mahoy to succeed you as the prophet. Did you see that? Circle that. Succeed you. I have a plan for past you. What? It ain't all about me? No. I don't need you for everything. But here's what I need. I need you to go back and mentor these people. You're checking out before it's over, and you're going to leave nothing. You leave no legacy. You think I showed up on the mountain of fire? You think I sent water for nothing? I sent it there so that Israel would turn back to me. And you're about to lead the greatest revival, Elijah. And you didn't even know it. And you need to go back to Elisha because I'm not done with you yet. And your biggest fear of being alone, let me tell you what he says next. You can read it for yourself. I'll let you read this part for yourself. He says, here's the biggest fear you got. You want to know what it is, Elijah? You're afraid because you think you're alone. And there's 7,000 people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Did you know that? And they're ready to rise up and go with you. There's a prophet ready to go. There's all these things ready to go. And you're afraid of death. And my plan for you is not to die. You're one of the few people that will never die. I don't know if he dies one day, but he never died there. Because what God does next for him, you can read about in 2 Kings, the greatest miracles we've seen. He mentors Elisha. He sets the king up and a, and a fiery chariot comes down. You know the song, Sweet and Low, Sweet Chariots is where it comes from. And he, and he comes down and he picks up Elijah and he goes into the heavens. I promise you, you read it for yourself. It's in 2 Kings. It's awesome. And your biggest fear didn't happen. Can I tell you something about depression? Your biggest fear may not happen. But even if it does, even if you die, you know what? It doesn't matter. You know why? Because God's with you. Okay? And God's got more for you to do. Prescription number four is this. God gives you something to do. And for most of us, it's go back. I never called you away in the first place. You think it's about changing your circumstances. And he goes, no, it's about a different perspective of your circumstances. Let's see what God can do in your circumstances. All right. So a couple things we want to do today. We're going to take communion, and this is a perfect Sunday for that. Before you go there, I just need just a few minutes of your time to explain something. One is this. If you don't know Jesus Christ, today is the day. Maybe you've been depressed and you go, you know what, I don't know God. Just reach out to him. He's, he's, he's already reaching back to you. He, you're not waiting on him, he's waiting on you. And he brought you here today to hear that. You reach out to God, he'll be right there with you. Each step of the process, don't think it's going to be overnight. He t- how, how long did he take with him? It was, like, it was like two months to prep him. Don't think it's going to be overnight, okay? Maybe it took you more than two months to get out there. Maybe it took you more than a day. Maybe it's going to take you years to get back up to speed. That's okay, God's got a plan, all right? But maybe you need to start with a prayer that just says, God, I just give it all to you today. <laughs> I know that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and it's time I receive you as Savior. For some of you, you've received him as Savior, but never received him as Lord. And now it's time to say, you know what? Not only did he die on the cross as Savior, but he rose from the dead and he's Lord. And it's time for you to give your life to him. Some of us, though, here's the thing. He did it for us. And now, he did it for Elijah, he can do it for you, right? But if he did it for you, he can do it for somebody else. And I want to just give you just a simple plan. I don't want to tell you what God is saying to you today because he may be saying other things besides this, and I don't want you to take anything away from that. 
And I want to give you one plan because I think it's worth it. I want to explain what we're going to do for Easter this year one last time because it's such an important day. We have invited a lot of people to come on the day when most people will come to church. On a day that most people are not going to enjoy because they don't like crowds. You understand that? I want you to think through the lens of the person that you invited. If you hadn't invited them yet, maybe you've been depressed and you hadn't invited them yet. And you still got a chance. There's a whole bunch of invite cards out there. There's postcards out there. I want, to ta- I want you to take them all. Okay? I-, I want them all gone today. Don't save them. What are we saving them for? Next week is it. And then we're throwing them in the trash. And that one invite could change somebody's life. Maybe you don't believe it. But let me tell you how it goes. Some of you guys have been mailing postcards to them, right? And I did, right? I I wrote them out to some of my friends. And what they do with that postcard, let me tell you, when they get it, it means more to them than you'll ever know. I had a guy that was on crack, and I remember he got a postcard from us to invite him to Western Branch Community Church. And he put that thing there, and he had it for years. Did you know that? And even after I saw him three and a half years later, he said, you know what, I still got that card. (laughs) Don't think this is small. It's not. You took the time. You cared about me at the worst possible state in my life. It's not small. But they're going to take that card, and here's what they're going to do. They're going to go, yeah, maybe. Nah. Right? That's what I do, right? And, it, and then so, so what comes next? What comes next is, is then you got this other invite card. See? And I want you to hand it to them. Maybe you already have, but maybe you need to take some time this week and personally give them this card and say, you know what? I was thinking about you, and I wrote down my name, and I'm going to meet you there because I know you don't like a crowd, but you're going you're to love this. You're going to love this church because they are strange, and it's Okay. Let me tell you what we're going to do for them on Easter Sunday. When they come in on Easter Sunday, here's what it's going to look like. we got a brand new church sign coming just in time for Easter. Bobby? <laughs> so he's already put the other sign out, inviting everybody, but all of a sudden they're going to go, oh my gosh, there's a new sign. There is actually a church there. It's not falling apart. <laughs> we thought it wasn't, it's not. And, and so there's a brand new church sign that's going to be lit in the whole nine yards. We're going to have feather banners that are going to go out in front of the church with our new color, which is kind of a new green or whatever, and you've probably seen the logo right here. It's going to have that on there, and it's going to say welcome. So they're going to drive through some banners that say welcome, and they're going to go, hmm. Then they're going to see the kids thing in the back, 65-foot bounce house for the kids, and go, they care about kids, okay? You get the picture? And they're going to walk through the doors, and they're going to get donuts. Why? Because they haven't ate. You get the picture? We're going to feed them some carbs just like they did, just like the angel did. You get it? (laughs) And Krispy Kreme is... Krispy Kreme is what we long for. Okay. Krispy Kreme is going to do it, right? Donut holes, and they're going to come in, and they're going to go, oh, man, right? And then they're going to see you because they're going to go, man, this is crowded. I don't think I like this, right? Every seat's going to be filled, but you're going to be right there and say, hey, come here. And then you're going to say, Antoine, get up. We don't sit down. You're one of us. Get up. Get out in the back, okay? <laughs> Tracy, get on out of here, right? I mean, we got a brand new person that we care about, right? What's all that about? A big crowd? I told you, they don't like a crowd. You know why they want it? We're paving the path for them to see Jesus. You get it? I can't save them. I'm not that good, trust me. I'm not. I've heard it. But even if I was, even if I was Billy Graham, they wouldn't come to faith in Christ. You know why they come to faith in Christ? Because you cared and you prayed and you invited them. And let me tell you what's going to happen. They're going to get here and they're going to hear a gospel message and they're going to receive Christ. But I need to tell you a little bit about that because here's why the invite's so important. Because you think they're going to come because of this. And this right here is going to go in the trash, right? And this right here, you know what they're going to do with that invite card? They're going to go, oh, thank you very much. I will definitely be there. And let me tell you something. They're lying, right? That's going to go in the trash. And then on Saturday night, this is what's going to get them. You're going to call one last time. And they're going to go, yeah, I said I would. And then at one minute, they're going to make a different change. See? And they're going to show up and all that stuff's going to happen for them. But if you don't invite them, they won't be here. Understand this, there's a parable where Jesus says the word of God is like seed. And as the sower throws out the seed, there's, there's ground where, where the weeds come up and they choke it out, right? The life chokes it out. The gospel message is choked out. And the bird, Satan, comes down and he swoops and he grabs the gospel from them. They get the word of life and it's snatched away. You get it? How do I know? Because I've been there, right? But there's that one person that shoes the bird away and goes, you ain't, you ain't got no place here. You know what happened? I got a postcard that said it could be different. You know, I got a personal invite that said it could be different. And every time that bird comes back, he's going to come back one last time, and you're going to make that phone call, and it's going to change their life, and Satan's not going to be happy about it. But we're not done yet, okay? I need to tell you about one other thing. Because Satan's still trying to snatch them, see? They're going to come here. They're going to say a little prayer. They're going to leave, and then they're going to go, yeah, that was just an emotional experience. And it was. Until this happens. 
we're going to invite them back for the next Sunday. Next Sunday is about two things. One is so God can do the only work that he can do. And two, so we can invite them back and we care about them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite them back the next Sunday to a breakfast. Instead of having first service, if you come to first service, please tell everybody we're not having first service April the 3rd. Okay? Some people, that's going to blow them away. (laughs) What? God could show up in second service? Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Oh, this is second service. Sorry. All right. So you get the picture. God's going to show up second service. That's okay. But we're going to get them to come back because they're not going to want to. You know how we're going to do it? You're going to bring them to the welcome center because they're not going to fill out their welcome card. Okay? They're not going to fill out their connection card. Trust me. Trust me. I get them every week. 20 people fill them out in a church of 200. You get the picture? They don't fill them out. They're not going to fill them out. But you've got to take them there and say, we want you to sign up for the breakfast. Why do we want them to sign up? Because they can't just come? They can just come. But I want to personally send them a card. Nothing creepy, not showing up at their house, but I need their information to do that or else I can't invite them. Because why? Because Satan is going to snatch it away from them. We're going to give them the card at the connection, the connection center, the welcome center. We're going to have a big, connect, big sign over the welcome center, welcome to New Branch, big tablecloth, and give them that card. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to take that card and they're going to throw it in the trash. Why'd you invite them? Because we just shooed away the devil just for a second. And then, and then they're going to get an invite from me personally. Pastor John invites you to a breakfast, and if they can read it, they're going to go, there's pancakes there. I don't care about John, but pancakes are there. Okay. And we're going to feed them pancakes. Why? Because that's what you do, right? And they're going to come here, and, and, and they're not going to come, and then we're going to call them. And we're going to say, hey, by the way, did you get our invite? Yeah, I got it. I'm not planning on coming. I'm just playing. <laughs> and then what? And then you're going to call them on Saturday. And you're going to say, friend, I want you to come. And this breakfast is not a potluck dinner. Be, please hear me. This is not a potluck dinner where all the church family gathers and you feel like an outsider. This is just for new people. Are y'all hearing me? Because this is very important. And if we don't get this right, we're going to mess it all up. If we turn this into a potluck dinner, here's what's going to happen. We're all going to hang out together and they're going to be by themselves. I've been to those. Have you? As a pastor, I can get over it because I'm like, hey, I know everybody. I'm happy to eat the food and talk to myself, I guess. Don't do that to a new person. They'll never come back again. So here's what I'm going to ask. Do not come to that dinner unless you bring somebody new with you. Don't come to that breakfast without somebody new. We're going to actually ask you not to. You want to know why? Because here's what will happen. You'll come in thinking, well, I didn't bring a friend, but they got a friend. And you'll distract their friend from being able to focus on them. Really important, guys. Please don't do it. Bring somebody new. Don't come if you don't because I'm telling you, it won't work. I'm so clear on what what, what happened. And if they do that, here's what will happen. The Sunday after Easter won't be the lowest attended Sunday. We'll get them to come back. And then second service, they'll hear the message again, and they'll start to connect, and we'll give them other opportunities to connect. And for the first time, we've shooed away the bird. And they didn't just show up the next Easter. You know how many people just come back on Easter? I'm like, hey, it's good to see you. We get to see you once a year. It's like a family reunion or something. Man, we ain't seen you guys in a year. And now they'll be part. Is that worth it? So I want you to pray for that. I'm going to pray for that. And here's what I'm going to do. Carol Owens is going to come at this time and pray over communion. There's two things I want you to do for communion today. One is this. If you've never received Christ, you are welcome at this table as long as you receive him today. This is not our table. You don't have to be part of New Branch Community Church because it's Jesus Christ's table that represents his broken body and shed blood for the complete remission of your sins. When Carol prays today, I hope that you'll ask Jesus to come into your heart. And she's going to pray a blessing over this Lord's table. We're going to pass it around. I hope you pray, watch the video, and then together we're going to take it as one body. And then I want you to go out and I want you to invite somebody. And that's what it's all about. Carol is doing intercessory prayer for us, and I wanted to point that out before she prays. She's an incredible person to pray. But she prays over all these chairs every Sunday. If anybody wants to join with her, just come see her. She'd be happy for you to come. So, Carol, come and pray for us. This is what binds us together as a family. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he broke it, he gave thanks for it. 
And he, and he prayed and he said, This do in remembrance of me. Receive the body of Christ. On the same night, he took the cup. And he said, This is the new covenant of my blood that's poured out for you. In another place, he says, For the complete remission of your sins, receive the blood of Christ. And then after that, they went on the hillside and they sang some praises to God. In another place, he said this. He said, I won't take of this meal again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. What is he waiting for? One more to come to repentance. That's our job today. I commission you today. Go out, invite them to come for God because that's what he's waiting for. I don't know how many will come. It doesn't matter. But long as the one comes, right? There might be a whole bunch of ones. But the one lost soul that's all by themselves. Wouldn't that be something if God could do that? Let's stand for prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your broken body and your shed blood for the complete remission of our sins. And for those that have experienced it, there is nothing like it. For those of us, God, that have heard your still small voice, there's nothing like that either. And your presence, because we understand that what that act on the cross did was it restored a relationship with God for those that, that turn to him. Those that confess, hey, I need that. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm broken. I can't be part of God anymore. So I pray today, Lord, that no person leaves here today without knowing who you are. I pray that no Christian leaves here, Lord, maybe maybe they've accepted you as Savior, but they've never let you in completely. They've never given up their heart to you. And I pray today that they will. And then I got to pray that compels us to reach out to those that still don't know. And Lord, they come in such ugly packages. I know because I did. And I just pray, God, that we don't overlook somebody. I, I pray the one that we think, you know what, they, they can't, there's no help for them. I pray we look at it one more time through your lens. And we see them come here next week and they give their life to Christ. And we help them be part. Help us to be that kind of church, Lord. But ultimately, God, we pray for you to receive all the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.